Hey, CNFers. Batting leadoff today is Goucher College's MFA in nonfiction. The Goucher MFA is a two-year low-residency program. Online classes let you learn from anywhere, while on-campus residencies allow you to hone your craft with accomplished mentors who have Pulitzer Prizes and best-selling books to their names. The program boasts a nationwide network of students, faculty, and alumni, which has published 140 books and counting. You'll get opportunities to meet literary agents and learn the ins and outs of the publishing journey. Visit goucher.edu slash nonfiction to start your journey now. Take your writing to the next level and go from hopeful to published in Goucher College's MFA program for nonfiction. Hmm, yes. Riff. Oh, that's nice. That's that's real nice. That's warm. That's warm and fuzzy. That's two IPA buzzy. If you've had an Oregon IPA, it only takes two. Hey, it's Brendan O'Mara, and this is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast, the show where I talk to badass writers, filmmakers, and producers about the art and craft of telling true stories. Today's guest is Vlad Yudin, a Russian-born documentary filmmaker best known for the trilogy of Generation Iron bodybuilding films, which I believe at least two of them are on Netflix. His Vlad R. Company makes and produces lots of films in the fitness business, and we unpack a lot of what makes him a particularly free spirit when it comes to his filmmaking. A little warning here, all right? This might be a little off-putting to some of you, and to some extent it is to me as well, but I'm giving you a heads up because I love you. And I'm giving you this heads up because this is what I plan to do going forward. You ready? Okay. I'm going to start courting mid-roll ad reads. Not too long, not too obtrusive, I hope, but when you hear the start of this new riff, courtesy of Wheatman on Audio Jungle, you'll know you're in for a little plug of some kind. Cue it up. Today is a house ad for my monthly newsletter. So I'm not going to say anything here. I will let the ad do the talking. It's only like 35 seconds long. I need to subsidize the show in new and creative ways, especially since I got shit canned from the day job last week. So as I'm going forward, I'm, I might be like I'm really working on uh, setting up a Patreon thing. So the more listener supported the show is, the, the more ads I can take off the actual recording of the show. In which case, it'll be more seamless, and we'll get to the meat of the things that you've come to really enjoy about the show. But until then, like I said, it's uh, you know, it's something something I gotta do. NASCAR cars go around the track, and uh, there's not an not a single spot on those cars that's not taken up by some sort of an ad. So, helps pay for the whole enterprise. So, okay, now that that's out of the way. Be sure to subscribe to the show, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and hand it off like a triangular folded up note that you did back in high school, you know, hand to hand. Shout out to Sybil Baker of episode 35 fame, a great writer, great author, who made a similar recommendation of the show to someone who didn't know about it. It was on Twitter, and she tagged the show, at CNFPod, at Brendan O'Mara, that's what you should do. So I knew to engage. 
And that was really nice. That's what we need, hand-to-hand. Rage against the algorithm, man. You're the social network. Okay, and now, batting second. Discover your story. Baypath University, founded in New England, the New England, in 1897, is the first and only only university to offer a no-residency, fully accredited MFA, focusing exclusively on creative nonfiction. Attend full or part-time from anywhere in the world. In the Baypath MFA, you'll find small online classes and a dynamic and supportive community. You'll master the techniques of good writing from acclaimed authors and editors, learn about publishing and teaching through professional internships, and complete a master's thesis that will form the foundation for your memoir or collection of personal essays. Special elective courses include contemporary women's stories, travel and food writing, family histories, spiritual writing, and an optional week-long summer residency in Ireland with guest writers including Andre DeBuse III, Anne Hood, and Mia Gallagher, among others. Could be Maya, I'm not sure. Start dates in late August, January, and May. Find out more at baypath.edu slash M-F-A. I don't know why, but I'm really out of breath after that one. Get it together, Brendan. You can do this. Okay, so Vlad is here to talk about his journey as a filmmaker. It's pretty great. And how he carved out a niche or niche, or never know what that word, in a crowded industry. His independent spirit is paramount to him as a filmmaker. And also how he tries to keep things as, as objective as possible. So let's clear the deck for Vlad Uden. from Russia and uh, how'd you get into documentary film? Well, I moved from Russia to uh, to the States in the, in the 90s, basically. It was like 95, 96. Mm-hmm. And that's the time where when basically Russia was, you know, uh, terrible conditions, you know, for, for living and especially schooling, you know. So I had to, you know, my family made a decision for me to move over here for uh, pursuit of a better life and, uh, and most importantly, you know, um, get into better schools and, and, you know, for career choices, basically. Um, the 90s was, just, you know, a terrible time in Russia at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a it was a lot of things were collapsing, infrastructure and, and you know, especially schooling. It just wasn't as, as good as it used to be before that, you know. So it was really a decision to uh, for my career and, and, and life in general, I would say. And, you know, I always had interest in film. Um, storytelling and, and so I you know I went to school here and I eventually pursued my career in film and documentary film and uh, how old were you when you came over here uh, I was about 13 years old when I when I, uh, when I moved to the states yeah and what state did you move to uh, New York okay New York I lived in New York New Jersey and uh, New York basically uh, you know my whole lot you know since I moved here and now, you know, I basically travel around the world, all over the states, and, you know, we're still based in New York as a company and myself, but, you know, we spend a lot of time in different cities, and, of course, California is, uh, is one of the main places we, uh, we spend a lot of time in now, you know, uh, now that we're in the film business and, and bodybuilding, of course, as well. Yeah. 
And so what were some of the, you know, you said you were into storytelling and then, of course, you know, filmmaking. So what was that? How did you get the bug? You know, what were some of those films maybe that made you want to, to pick up the camera and, and be a director yourself? It's always been American cinema, American cinema that inspired me. You know, when I was growing up, I enjoyed films in different different genres, and and I watched a lot of Russian films, a lot of films from Europe, you know, France, Italian cinema. But I think American cinema definitely inspired me a lot. You know what I mean? Like the scale of it, the obviously the, you know, just the, just the whole kind of uh, uh, the style of making films. You know, from from action films to comedies to everything else, American definitely inspired me. The American culture always always like really intrigued me. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I think that specifically American films um, inspired me to to be in filmmaking. To be perfectly honest, was there a, a particular documentary you can point to that that made you say like, oh, that that specifically is kind of what I want to do when I when I grow up. You know, it's funny. I never, like, when I was younger, I never really, like, watched documentaries too much. It wasn't something that I was very interested in, like, that in documentaries. I was primarily watching feature films. Um, documentaries, I, th- I think it's something that I enjoyed, like, later on in life. And, and sort of, like, I developed appreciation for documentaries as I was watching them. You know, um, a lot of different sports documentaries. And, and you know, in, in general, like, documentary is a tricky thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. because... It's like there's so many different things that can be called documentaries. You know what I mean? Like there's sports documentaries, then there's like, you know, reality document. It can be documentary also, you know, uh, derives from documentary world basically. Um, and then there's uh, styles of documentaries, the way they're made. But, you know, I, I definitely uh, developed appreciation for it later. I, I can't really tell when I was young. Like a document, I saw a documentary and I wanted to be a <laughs> documentary mm. filmmaker. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And when you were getting getting started uh what were mm-hmm. some maybe early growing pains you experienced as you were as starting your career and starting your craft as a filmmaker you know i i have a very independent spirit you know um and i still do to this day um and i'm i'm just very blessed that you know me and my company my partners were able to uh, remain independent and have that type of uh, mentality and and in the beginning it was like when you're first starting out, you want to be noticed or you want to be sort of like get a big break, you know what I mean? Like in any industry, wherever you're trying to get in. Right. Um, and it's always very difficult, you know what I mean? It's, and the film industry is, I think it's very more difficult because it's not a clear path to uh, success, I think, you know? Um, but, you, you know, with the independent, you know, kind of like mentality, mindset, it was always you know, let's do it ourselves, let's get these cameras, you know, let's let's try to come up with, with topics and let's try to uh, make projects basically on our, on our own. Um, that developed, uh, I think, a very strong mindset and like thick skin basically, you know, mm-hmm. um, to the point where today it actually helps us to, to make films that we want to make and, and to make them successful. And um, the growing pains is always how do you, how do you get the film how do you get it out there you know who's gonna watch it like how do you get people to watch it you know but um, it's always the, the biggest challenge in the beginning but you know with our mindset it, it made us stronger and I think that really caused success later down the line you know that that type of mindset and uh, going through through these type of challenges um, made us you know better. Uh, in business of filmmaking, basically. Mm. Where does that independent 
spirit come from that, that you spoke about that you've been able to carry over to your to your film company and to to make the films you like based on just your own your own taste i don't know man i just i don't know i think it was in my dna probably you know mm-hmm. um and same as you know um ads my partner we just we just didn't want to uh work for anybody really you know and just, just kind of wanted to have that that freedom you know that doesn't mean we don't work hard. I feel like we work harder than anybody else in this industry. Um, but, you know, we just didn't want to have, I don't know, in my opinion, like this, like, you know, if, if I fail, I want to fail because of, because of me. And I don't, I don't want to be like somebody else to fail because somebody else tells me to do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, at the same time, if I want to succeed, I want to, I want to succeed because of, because of us, you know, because of my team, basically. I don't know. I think really just part of the DNA. I don't know how to explain it, man. Like it, it's difficult, it's difficult to give it like elaborate explanation of what caused it. I think it's just always been that mindset, you know, but that doesn't mean I don't like working on the team or have partners. Cause we have a lot of partners. We have a lot of team members and um, I love working in tandem with people. It's just, it's just the independence I feel like is so important, you know what I mean? Especially in today's world where, you know, the filmmaking and digital and everything else allows you to do it. Now it's all about just competing and just trying to find a way to get the audience to watch your films. What would you say was your your first, it just, you know, quotations around major, but like your mm-hmm. first major success that that showed you that you were on the right path and gaining gaining momentum doing this thing you love doing? You know, it was it's definitely steps, like st- kind of like stepping stones. You know what I mean? That that that, um, that we took. We started off making music documentaries. You know, they made a first feature film called Last Day of Summer. That was in uh, I think 2010. Um, that was you know the first the first film we actually worked with. You know, uh, Hollywood talent. I would say you know it was DJ Qualls and Nicky Reed from Twilight at the time. Um, so we made a uh, William Sadler. You know, those are the you know, people that. You know, I've been seeing a major film. So my first feature film called Last Day of Summer. Um, and all those, and you know, before that, we worked with Sony on, on music documentaries. We made a documentary in Big Pun, which is a uh, major music star here in New York. Mm-hmm. And we always had, you know, kind of like distribution partners, basically. But um, the first time I really felt good about what we're doing, like, you know, and to me, it felt really, really, felt really great is when we made the first Generation Iron film. Uh, in 2013, we released it fully independent, and that became one of the top grossing documentaries um, and one of the top indie films of 2013. And we did it fully, fully independent, independently, you know. And that, to me, was a great accomplishment because they gave us courage to continue uh, building a company, a, vertic- a vertically integrated company, meaning that we control the production, distribution, marketing. And, you know, everything from the ground up, you know, where prior to that, uh, we're really dependent on, depend, we're dependent on different other partners, distribu- distributors. And in many cases, sometimes you're not happy with that because if something goes wrong, you know, you're sort of like in a limbo. Um, so with the Generation Iron first film, 2013, um, it was a time where we felt really, um, really good about what we can do. Uh, of course, it wasn't you know all great after that. It was still a challenge. It was still a lot of challenges, and you had to like build a company uh, more. But it was definitely a first time where it felt really good. Well, what would you say is the nature of your particular hustle? Not only on creative, but to to get 
to get the to get the funding you need and to to put these things together because uh, it is it's kind of a balance of that art and business. Absolutely, I mean, you know, the the biggest challenge is always who's going to watch your films, right? Like, how are you going to get it to the people, right? How are you going to create an audience? Because you know, everybody wants to make films. All independent filmmakers they want to make films <clears throat> really badly, and they want to tell stories they want to tell. And then they put they put everything they have into like a project, let's say, right? And then it's time to to get it out there, right? Um, the most common um, way to get it out there is take it to a film festival and take it to another film festival, another film festival, right? And try to build an audience that way. Um, that's the most common common way to do it. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. It's it's you know for us, uh, myself and my partner Edwin Mejia, you know. Um, we really wanted to build a company that that you know makes films, releases films, and um, and other programs, of course, other media programs. And so it was important for us to have a, a steady uh, audience, a steady base that we had to grow. Um, so after you know Generation Nine was released, we wanted to build Generation Nine Network, um, and really build an audience to where when we you know drop a new film a new project we have audience that's uh, waiting for that to come out you know what i mean right. so we invested a lot of effort a lot of a lot of um, our resources into building the audience uh, and continue building it every year after that um to where we have our own sort of like a, a mini studio system you know so where we can put the movies out and and we have people waiting for it you know because without that you know you really um, a lot of indie filmmakers are struggling every time you make a new film you have to look for distributor you know what i mean it just becomes it, it's just a whole different type of uh, business you know and right unfortunately in today's world you know when technology like allows everybody like right now anybody can be a filmmaker right everybody can buy a camera and be a filmmaker you can make a movie on your um, cell phone if you really want to you know what i'm saying yeah. so there's so much competition out there there's, there's YouTube, right? There's so much free, even free content out there, right? So when somebody actually wants to, like, how do you convince somebody to actually buy it from you? There's so much free content, you know? Um, it becomes a challenge, and I, and I feel like every filmmaker needs to find their niche or some kind of a way to for it to be seen, basically. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of what, like, the, the brilliant author and marketer Seth Godin says when he says, like, you know, if you're going to you know be successful in a, in in this kind of age where there is so much content, not only that, but really good content, mm -hmm. that you have to seek out essentially the smallest viable audience and whatever that is. And it seems like you've been mm -hmm. able to successfully carve out a great niche with with the bodybuilding and fitness scene. Uh, mm -hmm. What would you say came first? Were you into that, or did you just notice that there was this sort of subculture that lacked compelling storylines, and you're like, oh, if I just kind of – there's an audience baked in over there. If I take my talent to that audience, I can make a living. I can I can do the work I want to do. Yeah, basically after the first Generation Iron film, you know, we got into the fitness industry. We saw there was a big void in the fitness industry specifically. We saw that there's a lot of it's a great industry, you know, but it's in a, in a media space. There was nobody there yet, right? Um, so just to give you a quick background, you know, Joe Weider was the revolutionary uh, media man, and also, you know, uh, you know, a man that really created the fitness industry in this country. Uh, you know, in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, he built it up. He made the magazines, he made the federations, he made the competitions. He was really the man, you know, that that really created this industry here. And then when we came in the industry in 2013, you know, uh, that's basically 
there was no media really. There was just uh, you know because Joe Weider sold his magazines and they weren't real. They were just basically print. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was print magazines. It was some blogs here and there, but it wasn't really like a, a media channel. You know what I mean for bodybuilding and fitness. So it was so a big void in in that space. And uh, you know we right away started building our audience from the first film. And we saw that we can be, we can revolutionize this, you know, the media space in this industry. And that's what we started working on. Now, of course, you know, when you come into any industry, you know, from outside, basically, you have to, you can't just start, you know what I mean? It's not just about throwing money at it, really. You have to kind of build, um, you have to be authentic and you have to uh, build the right team around you, you know? So we focused on bringing the right people on board. And, you know, it took years to really, you know, build a network up. So we, we launched the Generation Iron Fitness Network, uh, generationiron.com, basically, which is, to put it in simple words, is basically like kind of like the vice channel meets bodybuilding and fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a publishing platform. It's a, it's an original content platform. Um, it has, you know, uh, all the news, the latest news, uh, latest original content that we create for free. And, uh, and of course, it's also a mini studio for, for the releases of original films that we're creating every year now. Um, so we, you know, it took time and it took a lot of effort, but we were able to build it every year more and more to where now it's, uh, it became a leading platform in the space. And, and for us, it was the, uh, the major thing that we wanted to create for this industry because fitness industry, you know, it's, it's kind of complex because if you look at a competitive bodybuilding, it's very niche and it's very, uh, you know, and it's very, very, I would say small compared to the fitness overall, you know, right. Uh, right. fitness overall, of course, because of social media became very big right now. Uh, but it's still, you know, it, it's, you know, competitive fitness bodybuilding is different from just a mainstream body uh, fitness. Um, you know, people just want to work out. Everybody wants to work out nowadays, you know, but we cater towards we dedicated towards everybody in the fitness, but of course you know the the bodybuilding fans and the and the core audience of ours are people that really you know want to live the lifestyle and want to learn more about the lifestyle. You know. Hey, hey, what is the meaning of this? Well, I want to say that this episode is also brought to you by. My monthly newsletter. Oh, yeah, that's right. On the first of the month, you can get a tasty bit of goodness sent right to your inbox. My reading recommendations for the month and what you might have missed from the world of the podcast. Visit BrendanOmera.com. Once a month, no spam. Can't beat it. Now back to the show. The bodybuilding industry, especially the the crew that you were essentially following in, in the first film, uh-huh. it, it's uh, and those IFBB pros, uh, it's a pretty insular and almost secretive um, community. And they're, you know, they struggle to want mainstream coverage, but at the same time, if mainstream coverage comes to them, they kind of wall off. They're a bit distrustful. So, yeah. So how did you gain, what was your approach to gain trust to get that close to um, to these uh, you know these the heavyweights of the IFBB uh, circuit. It's a good question. You know, it's I think in in many ways they were um, they wanted the exposure in a sense. You know, they wanted to be heard. And the first generation Iron film, believe it or not, was uh, very well received by just people that didn't know anything about bodybuilding in general. You know, we got so many letters and 
phone calls and emails just from people discovering, you know, rediscovering bodybuilding. Because uh, prior to Generation Iron, the other, the only other movie really that highlighted bodybuilding was Pumping Iron. Right. Uh, that was released in like 1978, I believe. Uh, and we actually, uh, we actually co-produced Generation Iron, the first film, with a producer of Pumping Iron, Jerome Gary. Uh, but you know, the trust, you know, it's, you know, once we started having conversations and, and filming, you know, they they definitely, you know, it's a it's a connection. You know what I mean? Like you, you always connect with the subject in a way. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's always a challenge because you can't become best friends with, with the subject of the documentary mm -hmm. because you have to make it, you have to make it objective. You know, I, I like to make my films really objective. I like to, I like for the audience to make a decision whether they, you know, what, what they like about the character, what they don't like about the character. You know, I just like to, I like to present an objective uh, point of view. I don't like to make a Michael Moore style documentaries where it's just one sided. You know what I'm saying? Right. And he makes great he makes he makes great films, but it's always a it's always a, a one side to, to a story. You know what I like to do is make at least highlight you know enough on both sides for the people to uh, to make their decisions for themselves. You know, right. so I can become best friends with these guys, but at the same time I can just tell them you know you know I, whatever we film is what we film. And you tell me you know, I ask you I ask you the questions that you know i think it should be asked and you answer them how you want to answer them you know and uh and of course not everybody's gonna be happy with everything you know he's, he's, we've made so many films in the last three years you know uh different subject matters in bodybuilding and, and somebody's always un unhappy with the portrayal or something but uh we always try to make it as objective as possible to be honest with you yeah i, I think you do that particularly well uh with uh, the ronnie coleman documentary also, because he was, you know, the, you yeah. know this, this eight, you know, he he's such a great great figure, but you could also be very critical of the way he treated his body during his competitive prime, which ultimately led to how much his body has broken down over the years. So you do show that side of his his peers um, being criti being critical. I mean, they're reverent, but they're also critical of, you know, did this guy really need to be deadlifting 800 pounds two weeks before the Olympia? You're like, that's just not really smart. And uh, right. so you, it, I think that's a perfect illustration of what you're getting at, of just kind of laying out uh, two sides here, because you could have easily just, you know, put up, no, put him up on the pedestal and just did a, a 90 minute documentary just worshiping the guy. Yeah, you know, it's the Ronnie one is a it's an interesting um, film because I um I told him before we made the film I told him you know if we're gonna do this you know we have to um, you have to give us access to your life currently you know and mm -hmm. show us how you live and show us the surgeries and and things you go through on a daily basis and stuff like that and he agreed to it and. Um, it's so funny because when we were making the film, because I, I know Ronnie from before, you know, so mm -hmm. I knew he was on crutches. I knew he was, he went through multiple surgeries and uh, people in, in the bodybuilding industry also kind of knew about it, you know, but so when we were making the film, it was kind of like, you know, I took every day like, okay, you know, because I saw him like this already before, you know, it wasn't like a, a shocking thing to me. And then when the movie came out and like people were shocked by it because they never saw like a concise piece like, like that on Ronnie. Yeah, uh, and then the, some people for the first time saw him on crutches like that in the surgery, and then we just like everybody was shocked. And some people uh, were so disturbed by it they couldn't finish the film. They told me, but um, yeah, and to me it was like, oh, you know, I was kind of surprised because I kind of assumed that you know people would just take it as it is. But yeah, it was it was shocking to a lot of people um, seeing um, 
Ronnie like this, you know, currently in, in the present time going through what he's going through. Um, but that wasn't a case where it was very important to get access, um, to, you know what I mean, to, to, to the, to him, you know what I mean? And, and, and it was very important for us to come to that agreement, um, for us to be able to film all that. And in this, oh, part of the reason why I kind of like the, the bodybuilding culture is, um, is the the mani- um, the monastic drive and focus that the men and women have for their discipline uh, i'd even extend that to to ballet and anyone who has mm-hmm. these singular focuses I, I really love following those people and uh would you say that that's a big reason why you're attracted to this particular um sort of niche of your of your filmmaking because of that singular focus to me you know it's something that i still want to discover more and more every year um the the drive of of the bodybuilding athletes um in that industry i I would say it's probably the most unrewarding sport you know on a financial level uh when it comes to the specifically competitive bodybuilding i'm talking about Mm -hmm. is the most you know uh when i say the most difficult is i believe that because just you know uh it's 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 a very tough sport mentally and physically and really, you're being judged based on your look, right? I mean, you're being ju- judged on a specific criteria, but it's based on the look of, of how you look, right? Um, so you're constantly being judged on, on your body, basically, right? So, like, you know, it, it, it takes a toll on you if, uh, through constant changes. And, you know, in bodybuilding, of course, for those who don't know, it's it's you go through phases, you know what I mean? Like, right before the competition, everything's changing, you know, uh, there's off-season, on-season, and it's just a constant thing. And... To me, it's always, you know, uh, I'm learning something every year about the mentality of what they go through. Um, and um, and sometimes, you know, bodybuilders differ from each other, you know. Some get some some are more dedicated, some are less. Because of genetics, some can get away with more, some can get away with less. And uh, everybody has different mentality, you know. And, I'm, and for me, the excitement is kind of learning, um, learning the differences and um every project we do i learn something else so it's um yeah and the something that i've always found a bit um problematic with with professional bodybuilding is it's not that uh, the performance enhancers the steroids or hgh and whatever diuretics they need to u- take to dehydrate their body mm-hmm. and get their get a nice grainy look for the stage it's mm-hmm. what what always kind of bugged me was was the fact that that was that's never really acknowledged yet these guys are kind of the face of nutritional companies and they, they kind mm-hmm. of say like if you take this you'll look like me it but they are also pumping themselves full of you know a laboratory's worth of chemicals and i wonder if you like you personally as a storyteller and objective storyteller in this world if if that's something that is hard for you to reconcile as you tell these guys stories no, it's not difficult for me. I mean, because it, it, it you can make the same analogy to to life in general. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you have professional athletes from every sport promoting something, endorsing something, right? Right. I mean, you don't know what they, you don't know what they take in behind the closed doors. That's first of all. Um, but secondly, we just made a film actually called Enhanced. It's uh, number two uh, documentary in the country right now. You can check it out on iTunes. It's called Enhanced. It's about a character named. Um, Tony, his name is, uh, Dr. Tony huge. You should check it out if you didn't see it yet, but yeah, I haven't seen it yet. This, yeah. is, th- this is the guy that's basically, uh, the opposite of that, right? This is the guy, he's not a professional bodybuilder, but he's like, uh, 
he calls himself the the pioneer of the human evolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he basically is actively promoting different steroids, different substances. He's experimenting with pretty much every every substance in the world. And his goal is to, uh, he thinks the steroids and all types of different substances um, are meant to help people in general, not just in bodybuilding, but in general. Um, so it's it's all the opposite of, you know, because normally, obviously, when you make a bodybuilding movie, right, bodybuilders, they don't necessarily want to talk about this stuff, right? right? Because it can affect their endorsements, they can affect their, you know, it's just it's just something you don't talk, it's like any other, like, you don't see a baseball documentary and they talk about steroids, right? You don't you don't see that. Right. It's just something you, you don't necessarily mention. Uh, but with this film, it's all about that. And, uh, you know, it's a different approach on things. He's like 100% honest, uh, or he claims to be honest, and uh, and it looks quite shocking because of how open he is, basically. But it's like it's like a different take on that. You know, he's in the fitness industry, and he is all about promoting steroids. And he claims that steroids should be uh, taken by everybody for different reasons, of course, and not just steroids, but like this. You know, obviously, when we say steroids, I mean like there's like hundreds of different compounds. You know. Right. Um, and, and he's and he's actively explaining and promoting it in film. And, um, you, you know, you know, of course, we have his critics that criticize him for that. And it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, so that film kind of covers that. But me personally, your question was originally, do I feel uh, conflicted with that? Uh, I don't, you know, because we, we do cover, you know, uh, steroids in, in various films, different in various forms. Uh, but I know I feel conflicted because ultimately, you know, it, it's just life. You know what I mean? Uh, some people will talk about it. Some people won't talk about it. And that's not just bodybuilding, uh, but that's just every single sport and every single, you know, whatever else, whatever else is there that people, you know, the people participate in, whether they want to talk about it or not. Right. And so with, you know, Generation Iron, the first one, you know, follows this, this uh, sort of, um, uh, what's this? What's the word? Like kind of a cohort of bodybuilders going to the Olympia. Mm-hmm. Second mm-hmm. one really focuses on social media and, and fit those fitness stars. And your you know, third film, it's kind of that striving for excellence versus perfection, and whether whether that's good mm-hmm. or bad. Um, would you say that you the third one, like that's the conclusion of a Generation Iron trilogy, or is this something you you see uh, see? Um, yeah, you keep building on going forward. Well, as a Generation Nine network, we make you know. Last year we made four films. You know, released four films. This year is going to be, I think, four or five films. Uh, so under the umbrella of Generation Nine, we're going to make we're going to make many many films. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are, some are, you know uh, kind of like biopic, like Ronnie Coleman. You know, we just we're making a movie about Dorian Yates right now, which is a legendary bodybuilder. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's going to be various films under the umbrella of Generation Iron. As far as Generation Iron title as a, as a, as a film, as a trilogy, uh, you know, we made a trilogy and that, that's supposed to be basically it. Um, unless something comes in that would fit the genre and we, we will expand on it. But as of now, this is a trilogy that, you know, was completed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, 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 and now we're focusing on a variety of other films under the umbrella of, of Generation Iron. And uh, what would you say is your 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 greatest driving motivation these days? Right now, you know, right now the biggest motivation is the fact that we're able to build a Generation Nine Fitness Network, and we're able to reach a lot of people. 
and we're able to give people content that they want to see that they can't see anywhere else. Um, that's the that's sort of like the responsibility and the focus of of, of today's um, you know mission that we're on. You know, it, it's something that we are able to deliver for the audience, and we have to make sure that we continue to do so and make sure to cater to them. You know, because ultimately they they can't find it anywhere else. We know that we're the ones providing it for them. So it's a big responsibility, but it's also a big motivation for us to keep going forward and uh, make sure that, you know, people are not only, you know what I mean, like just get everything catered to them, what, what necessarily they, they expect to see, but also give them an, something unexpected and open up their minds more. And this is why we make films like Enhanced, something completely different, you know, something from the, from the Generation Iron series, let's say, and, and continue to, you know, to give them things to open up their minds basically more. Uh, but do it in a way where it's, you know, it's quality and they, and they you know, feel good about watching it, basically, at the end. So these days, who, who would you say is your, your favorite bodybuilder? And that could be a historic one or a current one. But, like, who is someone you look up to in the, in the bodybuilding world and be like, oh, yeah, that, that guy, that man and woman's got, got it figured out? I don't know, man. You know, honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't look up to anybody in general in life. You know, not, I don't want to sound arrogant. I just, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't look up. You know what I mean? Like it's just something I don't really look up to people. But um, the 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 people that are really like I'm intrigued by right now, I would say, is uh, Dorian Yates. That's why we're making a movie about him right now. Dorian Yates actually has a very interesting past. Um, I don't know how much you know about him, but he's from UK, and he has he won six uh, Mr. Olympia titles back in the 90s and a uh, very interesting uh, storyline because when he was young he was a skinhead in uk right he was a skinhead actually mm. um then he became a bodybuilder um then he became sort of like you know oh he always was like when he, if he, he was a skinhead he was always into jamaican culture right so it's very interesting uh that he was able to kind of like combine both and have both things influenced him. It was very, very strange. Um, and then after he retired from bodybuilding, he had a very interesting kind of like life, you know, life altering experience. And now he's uh, heavily into marijuana. He's kind of like a hippie, you know, he lives in Spain, uh, on the coast of Spain, and he's sort of like, uh, does yoga and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's a very interesting guy. Yeah. And this, this movie we're making about, about him is going to be very, uh, very, um, you know, uh, different from everything else we've done because he's so interesting. Uh, but 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 when he what made him very special in bodybuilding that he was kind of like the first mass monster. So before that, before him, bodybuilders were kind of like more slimmer and more just um, had had different type of physiques. You know, when he came in, he was like this huge brolic bodybuilder, and he kind of like in many ways changed bodybuilding to where it became more about size after him. So like Ronnie Coleman is is a basically is, is came after him right and he was kind of like had to take his body even further you see what i'm saying yeah so dorian yates was the the guy that really changed bodybuilding and, and kind of like pushed in the direction of size um that's very interesting and you know um that's that's one of the historical figures you know but the other guy that i'm always intrigued about i'm always excited about working with is kai green yeah uh from brooklyn new york you know this is the guy that's um very uh, different from any other bodybuilder, you know, uh, that I know, because there's so many different layers to him. Uh, artistic, you know, he's artistic. He's uh, obviously a great bodybuilder, accomplished, 
but also just like he 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 uh, always always creates a lot of excitement from people all over the world when they meet him. Uh, it's very intellectual, uh, very uh, like I said, artistic. You know, he paints, he he does art, he does comic books, and um, just you know, conversing with him all the time is very interesting because. Uh, so many, so many topics we always we always talk about, you know, and, and we work closely with him, closely with him on different projects. So um, definitely always intrigues me and uh, in some ways inspires me as well, you know. Absolutely, and um, and uh, and Vlad. Lastly, uh, where where can people get more familiar with you and your work online and find you online if they want to get more familiar with your work? Absolutely, I encourage everybody to go to generationiron.com. Uh, to find out all our original content, films, and really just, you know, um, for your audience, you know, whoever's listening to you, uh, if they just want to learn about bodybuilding culture or get the daily news about bodybuilding and fitness uh, or just get a, maybe advice about how to work out and stuff like that, you know what I mean? They can, uh, they can go to that website and they can see a lot of great information. Fantastic. And uh, when the Dorian Yates uh, documentary comes out, we'll have to have you back on the show to talk about that and a, a little bit more of your process to filmmaking, too. Let's do it, man. I look forward to it. Fantastic. Vlad, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll be in touch down the road, man. Thank you so much, Brandon. Good talking to you, man. You too. Take care. Hey, do you like that? you dig the show? you dig the new heavy metal there in the middle of the show? I mean, any chance to riff charge this beast i'm gonna do it name another podcast of this kind that sends you into the mosh pit i dare you anyway thank you to our sponsors goucher college's mfa nonfiction and bay path university's mfa in creative nonfiction, and also my newsletter hey thanks to vlad and thanks to you for listening be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts the usual places and head over to brendanomero.com for show notes and the newsletter. Keep the conversation going on Twitter, at Brendan O'Mara, and at CNFPod. On Instagram, at CNFPod, and on Facebook, Creative Nonfiction Podcast. Got you covered. We're all in this crazy mess together, man. So let's just keep working, keep making good stuff. And remember, if you can do, interview. See ya. See ya.